Well, hello everyone, and welcome to Nerd Unscripted. This is your host, Tony Laddick. And this week's topic, I thought we would talk about the transformational power of books. And to kind of set that up a little bit, Kristen and I were talking the other night and uh, just a couple days ago, and I was sharing with her some of the books that I read because she always likes to read as well and was asking me for, you know, how I got past certain things in my life and, you know, those kinds of things. And I told her, you know, a lot of it just really shifted based on what I was reading at the time. And that's what I found. I'm a firm believer in mentors and coaches, and I've been blessed to have several over my lifetime. But more of those mentors have probably come to me in the form of books than actual physical people. And uh, I can honestly say that I'm the person I am today because of what I read and taking action on what I read, you know, where it just clicked. You know how it is. We, many of you are seeker type people or, you know, readers yourselves, because I know a number of you have made some really excellent recommendations for me, which I've really appreciated. But what I found is that, you know, the saying of when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Um, I think it's really true. I've certainly seen it play out in my life. And the one thing that I can say is that I'm grateful that I was smart enough fairly early on in my life, young adult, um, well, sort of young adult. <laughs> I didn't really start getting into reading until the mid-90s. Uh, I mean, I read, but not like from a personal development perspective. Um, but I recognized that I could be better than what I was and um, that it wasn't enough for me to just, you know, live my life willy-nilly and, you know, be the ultimate narcissist, but rather to actually become something that I can be proud of and that people around me can be proud of as well. And, I, you know, I thought that that would be an easy journey and, you know, whatever. And of course, as I'm sure you're well aware from your own personal journey, it's anything but. Um, but I think the challenge for all of us is that whenever we gain an insight or revelation on something, or we see something happening in our lives that seems like it's beyond our control, um, where we start asking, what in the world is going on? And why does this keep happening? And all of those kinds of things then we have to get those answers. It seems like as humans, we're often compelled to. Some people can push it aside, sweep it under the rug, so to speak. I'm not that person. I am like the ultimate curiosity adventurer. You know, I'm um, obsessive. I am intensely curious and I don't know when to stop. <laughs> like I'm just incredibly tenacious. Um, once I get focused and, um, that's been my journey. Like, <sighs> I think all of you are semi aware of the type of upbringing that I had and 
because I've talked about it in the past, but you know, my, my sole influence pretty much, uh, from the time I was a younger kid up through my early adult years was the church. And, um, whether it was, you know, more progressive. So, you know, Church of God, Pentecostal and charismatic and those kinds of things. And of course, you know, there was a time when I co-pastored a church and youth pastor and all that kind of stuff. Been there, done all that. And um, the problem that I started running into was I noticed some things about myself that I didn't like. That after a lot of badgering from other people, I finally um, conceded to the fact that it wasn't just them, that it actually really was me. Um, and I set out to to change it. But at the same time, I also had this underlying um, uneasiness, I guess, for lack of a better way of saying it, that there were some things that I was taught and you know, that I grew up with and all of that, that just didn't seem to add up to me. And I didn't know why, like it just, I felt like a stranger in a foreign land in a lot of ways. And I had no clue why I felt that way. Um, but I just did, you know, and partner that together with questioning everything, which I've done from an early age, it just, you know, doesn't make you popular with <laughs> your family at times and whatever. But um, like some of you, perhaps, you know, whenever I grew up, um, in the church setting, that was my context. That was the, um, the input that I had. Um, whenever I lived at home, it was that way. And then, um, I went to Rama Bible training center for a, a while, which, you know, is Kenneth Higgins, uh, college. And to study to be a teacher, big surprise. Later on, I realized that I could teach without having to go to Bible school. Um, but so I had these ongoing influences. And then, of course, I got a job working at a Christian publisher um, as the head of the graphics department. And so I was constantly surrounded by input and people and all of that. And so... You know, just even within that experience, um, I just happened to be there at the time when the um, Brownsville revival happened in Pensacola, when the Toronto outpouring happened up in Canada, and um, the things that were going on over in England. Um, all of that was going on simultaneously. And the publishing company that I worked for, Destiny Image, was the publisher for all of those movements, all the people. And so as a result, I got to see a lot of the behind the scenes. I, you know, I went to Brownsville. I went to Toronto. Um, I met a lot of the leading um, preachers from England and uh, designed all their book covers, which was a lot of fun. And uh, saw a whole lot of stuff I couldn't explain. But there was still this something that was pushing me beyond my comfort zone and I didn't know what it was. And so I talked to one of the guys that I worked with. He was head of acquisitions at the publishing company. And, um, at the time, and, uh, 
he was doing a lot of reading with um, early Christian books that, you know, beyond the Bible. So like apocryphal books, um, the Nagamati Library, um, like some of the uh, writings of the Desert Fathers and St. Teresa of Avila and a lot of those kind of books. And he uh, really got me into reading them and I enjoyed it. I didn't think I would because it's like it's a bunch of old books, you know, but I really enjoyed them because they started to shine light on some of the conflict that I had. And I, um, you know, and, and of course some folks reject those books as, you know, not, they're not canon of scripture. So therefore, you know, they don't matter. Um, and, uh, maybe that's another reason why I liked them so much is because it was like reading forbidden books. Um, but as I read through those, I noticed that there were things that they talked about that just really resonated with me. And, um, and through reading those books, I adopted this, uh, position seems like a weak word, but I just ad adopted this uh, position where um, I just started reading anything and everything that I could um, and to see how it sat with me inside. You know what I mean? Like, um, like if, if there was something about it that just seemed wrong, then I pushed it aside. If, you know, I even um, if it was a, a book on a topic that I didn't even believe in. You know, um, and then uh, Thomas uh, Merton, I started reading um, really fascinating books, but still I was kind of playing it safe in that even though these were, you know, um, books that were outside the realm of scripture uh, and frowned upon by some, they were still religious books. Okay. Not that that makes them bad. I mean, I'd still highly recommend them, but, um, but where I needed in my own personal progression, I needed to go through those books. Like I needed to read those as a foundation because it prepared me later on for other things. And so after I left the publishing company and started running my own business and all of that, um, I had stopped reading for quite a while. And, uh, of course, my business and personal life and everything pretty much went to shit for a while. Um, <laughs> nearly lost everything in um, like 2002. And uh, it was through that experience that I went back to reading again. The only problem was the books that were jumping out at me um, were books that were no-no books. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like stuff that you shouldn't read necessarily. Um, because they were new agey or whatever. And I was always curious, you know, what's the big deal about new age anyway? Um, I guess it's better than old age. I mean, whatever that even is. And around the same time, I was getting into a lot of public domain books. I was just starting to uh, move into the online space and discovered a lot of really terrific um, new thought uh, type books. Uh, which later on would have a, a profound impact on me and how I thought and everything. But 
you know, Think and Grow Rich, I think, was the first one that I read. Uh, a friend of mine gave me a copy of that book, and I'd never even heard of it. And uh, I was literally just getting started online and trying to figure stuff out. And um, he and his wife had come to visit, and he said, have you ever read Think and Grow Rich? And I said, no. And he's like, you really need that book. And so I bought it, and I read it, devoured it. And there were so many concepts in there that just seemed really foreign to me. But they were enough to keep me going, so to speak. And so then I started discovering a lot of other New Thought books that were just amazing to me, like The Master Key System, um, you know, a lot of the books by Orson Sweat Martin, uh, Wallace Waddles, um, William Walker Atkinson, which his books are very fascinating but a bit hard to read. They're not very reader-friendly, but the material is amazing. And just a lot of different writers, uh, Robert Collier, um, some of his early writings. Uh, and the thing that really caught my attention about those books is that they were all talking about using the power of your mind. But at the same time, they mixed in scripture. And I thought that was unique, you know. Um, and that's why it made it easy for me to read those books in most cases is because they, they were like... Um, kind of like bridge books. In other words, they formed a bridge between the church and metaphysical types of teachings. And uh, so I, I read everything I'd get my hands on again and just really devoured a lot of those. But the classics really had, you know, a lot of uh, personal importance for me. And so then in the reading, I really started going outside the realm of those books and exploring, you know, other options. And, of course, I'm a uh, science nut. Um, uh, language and linguistics, of course, is always fascinating to me as well. And so I started reading in those directions. So like um, the Elegant Universe, um, around that time, the Elegant Universe, uh, the Holographic Universe, was another one that I read around then. Um, and then there was a, a number of books about language. Um, Benjamin Lee Worf uh, wrote several books about linguistics and all of that that just really transformed how I thought about our words. Even though I grew up with, you know, in a charismatic church talking about, you know, the power of your tongue and... Um, you know, speaking words and all of that. Like, I always thought that that was just a charismatic thing and, you know, whatever. I mean, it's cool. But um, whenever I discovered later on that there was actually, you know, empirical evidence that showed the power of words um, and, you know, bringing science into that, it was pretty crazy. Um, like, I remember thinking there's really something to this. You know, I didn't know what it was. I mean, reading on like string theory and, and um, some of those kinds of things finally helped me start to understand what my mentor years and years ago was telling me about the importance of frequency and um, resonance, uh, which is vibration. Um, like I had no idea whenever I was 18 and he told me this, I had no idea what the heck he was even talking about. Um, it wasn't until I was in my forties that I finally realized, oh, okay, you know, everything vibrates, 
So of course it's the answer to everything. Um, so around that time I was reading that, but there was still like this spiritual undertone um, that I didn't quite, I couldn't figure out. Um, and there was a lot of anxiety that I was feeling, um, you know, for building a business and being a dad and husband and all that kind of stuff. And, um, so around that time, of course, whenever I was moving online, I discovered Joe Vitale, which I've shared before. And he had just written a book called spiritual marketing, which later became the law of attraction. Um, or the attractor factor, excuse me. That's what he called it, Attractor Factor, but it was originally called Spiritual Publishing. And um, he mentioned a number of authors in that book, uh, in his writings, that I'd never heard of, so I decided to check them out. And um, it was in the exploration of those authors that it really challenged my belief system. I mean, in a really big way, because I started reading... Um, uh, Neil Donald Walsh, Conversations with God. And I, I'll be honest with you, uh, with the church upbringing that I had, I felt guilty reading those books because I knew that they weren't quote-unquote Christian books per se. But um, as I read through them, there was so much that made sense to me personally that I just... it. I forget how many books now there are in this series. I think I read five or six. Um, it's been a long time, <laughs> maybe 12 or 13 years, something like that. Um, but I, while I enjoyed a lot of those books, um, I don't remember a lot from those books. And I think that's often, you know, what happens or maybe like one little nugget in a book, uh, and reading the entire book, you get that nugget in context, uh, that can really change the game for you. And, and the big one for me in reading, um, Walsh's books was, um, there was a series of questions that he was asked. And, um, I think there were five and the one question that hit me like a nuclear device was the question of, you know, what if everything you believed about God was wrong? And, I mean, you know, <laughs> back in the Middle Ages, that one question would have gotten him hanged and burned at the stake. I'm pretty sure, but, because uh, you don't question stuff like that. I appreciated the boldness of the question, um, because we automatically assume that what we're taught in church is all correct. What we're taught by our parents and our grandparents is all correct. And, you know, they're the adults and they're the experts, so they should know best. And so the notion of questioning everything, um, I was already very curious and asked a lot of questions, so it didn't seem like a completely foreign concept. But it was, to me, it was more like, holy cow, he just went there, you know? <laughs> And I didn't even think, you know, and apparently he didn't get struck by lightning because there's more than one book. So that's a good thing. And then I had a chance to watch a couple of videos of his and his soft tone and everything just really was captivating. Um, if you've ever heard him speak. But that one question, I could not escape. And uh, the other questions were very similar to that about, you know, 
belief in everything. And the whole purpose of it was to move you past the box that we all live in. You know, we all live in some form of a box. And um, that that was like an axe to one of my boxes. And so um, that led me to read some other uh, books that Joe had recommended. And um, the one series of books was incredibly challenging for me. Um, the authors were Esther and Jerry Hicks, also known as The Teachings of Abraham. And I bought one of their books. I think it was Ask and It Is Given, I think was the first one of theirs that I read. I've read most of them now. Um, like The Astonishing Power of Emotions and um, just different ones like that. Uh, but, uh, and at the same time, I was reading another author named Greg Braden, which I've read all of his books. But the thing that was challenging to me about reading um, Esther and Jerry Hicks books is that uh, according to, you know, the context of what I grew up in, those books were channeled. And, of course, um, what I was taught about channel materials is that it was all evil, um, you know, because God's word is authoritative and anything that comes through another means is demonic and bad and all of that and so and it's deceptive and it's meant to be deceptive and so for me growing up in the kind of environment that i did the notion of reading channel materials was like look over your shoulder worthy <laughs> you know it's like i'm gonna do this in secret and certainly not tell my mom uh, <laughs> that i'm reading these and by then i mean i'm in my 30s you know late 30s and uh, the thing that I found most intriguing in reading those books is that for the first time in a long time, stuff started making sense. And I found that exhilarating and frustrating at the same time because frustrating from the perspective of the question, right? What if everything you believed about God was wrong? Um, which I had read that book earlier. Um, and then all of a sudden here I am getting these explanations from these quote unquote demons, <laughs> which of course they're not, um, aliens maybe, but whatever. Um, and what they're writing makes sense. And they're talking about love and talking about our emotions and they're talking about um, how we're supposed to treat other people and how we're supposed to love ourselves, you know, and it so it took like a lot of the ideas and concepts that I grew up with and took them to the next level by a lot, uh, explained in a way that I had never heard explained before. And it just, like I said, it just made sense to me. And, um, and so then, you know, I got daring. Uh, it's like, wow. So if I can read channel materials and it turns out that it's pretty decent, let's take on some of my other beliefs that I have that, you know, I feel, you know, again, closet reader, you know, let's not tell mom, but we're going to read this book anyway. 
And uh, so uh, another book that was recommended uh, was um, books from Brian Weiss, which are all about reincarnation. And um, so I uh, bought Many Lies, Many Masters and read that book and was dumbfounded um, because the book itself resonated with me and it wasn't supposed to. Like, I wasn't supposed to believe any of what he said, but yet there here is this compelling evidence from thousands of patients. And I, it was hard for me to reconcile that it could possibly even be true. You know, I'm being deceived once again, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, but yet, I just, instead of jumping to a conclusion, I just read more books about it. Um, from multiple authors and that's kind of the approach that I've taken is rather than just automatically jobs judge something as false convince me you know convince me that it's true or convince me that it's false um, and so I found that that approach has served me well and there's been some books that have you know that I've read and I'm like nope sorry <laughs> It may work for you. Don't work for me. Um, you know, that kind of a thing. But, you know, you start reading uh, about topics that are supposedly taboo. And all of a sudden they click. Um, you know, you have to make a decision. Am I going to embrace this or, or am I not? And um, so moving forward from there, um, my family and I had started this nonprofit organization. It was still ministry based loosely. Um, it's called healing the land, uh, where we, uh, work with a lot of native American groups to encourage reconciliation between people groups, especially the church and native Americans. And, uh, we did that for several years and, um, Again, it was the same kind of thing. When we would meet with pastors and folks like that, there was just this ongoing confusion that we would see that just didn't line up to me, like didn't make sense. And I'm not saying that they were bad or wrong, but like here's an example. I, I remember there was a group of us um, met at a church. Uh, we were invited to be there to do presentations and all of that. And so we had a a drum. We had um, probably 10 or 15 dancers, including my family and friends and um, flute music and all that kind of stuff. And so um, we were, there were several of us that were on the drum, uh, including my friend Jerry, who was the, the lead singer for the drum. And uh, there were people in the church that got so scared that we were conjuring demons by playing this Indian powwow drum that they literally ran out of the church, like literally. And I saw that happen multiple times. And it's like, what in the world, you know, what on earth? Um, God forbid you light a smudge or something like that, you know, because after all, it's prayer and anointing oil, you know. Nothing else could possibly have spiritual value beyond those couple things you know, much less tobacco or sage or, or sweetgrass, you know. So 
there was, a, again, a, another area of a lot of conflict. And so, like I had done with everything else, I started doing a lot of reading um, that I really got put on that path through the help of a number of Native elders. Because I noticed that whenever we were around the elders, there was no condemnation, there was no judgment, there was none of that stuff. They would just take time and explain, you know, well, you know, this is the way our ancestors did things, you know, they would go into the sweats. And, you know, so I did that. And that was a very interesting, powerful experience. And so the elders, um, Cherokee and um, a lot of the uh, New York tribes, the Haudenosaunee tribes, uh, like the Onondagas and, and Mohawks, spent a lot of time with them. And they just explained things in a way that made sense. And so they also made recommendations for reading and stuff. And so I started reading um, books about uh, Fool's Crow, who was a Lakota medicine man. And just absolutely fascinating. Um, here's a guy who's supposedly practicing dark magic. If you listen to, you know, the other side, <laughs> the church side. But yet you listen to how he talks and how he approaches his patients. And he used this comparison that he was supposed, he always treated himself as if he were to be a hollow bone. Um, like um, you would find in a bird, you know, a hollow bone. Uh, and to keep that hollowness as clean as possible so that creator's power could flow through unhindered. Well, that made sense to me. So how on earth is an, a native medicine man speaking truth like this? You know what I mean? And that is probably the ongoing question that I had now that I'm thinking about it is, here I was reading books I wasn't supposed to read, according to some people, but yet I was finding truth in them all over the place that really connected with me and, re and resonated with me. Um, and I could explain it, but yet here it is, this little nugget of truth. And uh, so I read another book around the same time called um, Buddha and Red Face, which uh, is a novel, quote unquote. <laughs> I'm convinced that it's true. He, the author says that it's a novel, but I've met the author and I'm not convinced that it's just a novel, but it really rocked my thinking in some ways uh, that I just never considered before. Like he presented concepts in his novel that just seemed impossible to me. But again, in that impossibility, it made me curious. And around the same time, I came across the books. I've noticed that I, I have books come across my awareness in themes. Maybe you do too. But um, I don't know if you've ever read um, any of the books by John Heritage Heron, um, like Why Walk on Water When You Can Take a Boat. Um, there's three books in a series. Again, novels, quote unquote but pretty sure they're not. Um, and again, it challenged my concept of reality, uh, just like Buddha and Redface did, where it's like, well, you know, you take for granted what that you think you understand what reality is and the way things work and all of that. And then all of a sudden, here's this challenge to that belief. And uh, so I noticed 
you know, in hindsight, looking back and forth, I would bounce back and forth between more spiritual-based books and then to science-based books and then to spirit, science, spirit, science, back and forth like that. And what I discovered was that, um, unlike what a lot of people said, it all made sense to me. Like, they worked interchangeably. And so, you know, this constant push for wanting to understand and wanting to be better of a person myself. Um, you know, I, I went more fringe. Like, that was my response, was to go fringe um, as possible. So, you know, I started reading about ley lines and sacred geometry and all of those kinds of things. And then I got into mother goddess religions and, you know, a lot of those kinds of things, which when I first started doing the research, I could only do it for so many hours at a time because I would have such a heaviness hit me that I couldn't breathe, which was kind of weird. And this is really before I ventured into a lot of the other stuff. Now it doesn't affect me at all, but back then it did. And I think some of it just had to do with the context of where I was at the time. Um, but, you know, along the same lines, I'm starting to learn that there's more to life than what I just ever realized. You know, that as beings, we are powerful. You know, we're not these little subservient slugs that are just here to eke out an existence for 60, 70, 80 years. And then, you know, we get to go to heaven and, you know, eat all the chocolate we want without gaining weight. Um, so that we can make a difference now that we were here for a reason now, you know, that truly living a spiritual life means living now in the moment and, um, and that we were powerful, you know, that what we said made a difference, what we believed made a difference. Um, and I started realizing that. And so being the kind of person that I was. I started testing this stuff out. I mean, what's the use of reading it all if, if you can't prove whether or not it works? So I remember whenever I was really coming into this eye-opening understanding is about the time the movie The Secret came out. And, um, of course, I found out about it because, you know, I followed Joe Fatale for years and he was in it. And some of the other authors that I was now reading uh, were also in the movie, like Bob, Bob Proctor and Esther Hicks and different ones. And, um, and the movie, honestly, it was largely based on the master key system. I don't know if you knew that or not, but um, most of that, the context of that movie was based on public domain books, which I found fascinating. Um, but... It had its flaws because uh, any anything does. We're humans, so uh, anything is going to have its flaws. But for me, even though I love the movie and still appreciate the role that it played in my life, there were a lot of absolutes that they put forth in the movie that um, I thought lacked context. But at the time, I didn't know any better. I mean, this is more a hindsight kind of thing. Like, it was an incomplete picture. Um, 
instead of laying a foundation that needed to be laid, they went to the end result um, that wasn't necessarily false, but certainly not helpful. Um, like they said, you can have this, but then they'll tell you how to really get there. Um, but I remember buying the download for that movie the day it went available and watched it a dozen times, made my family sit down and watch it. And, um, there was just something about it again that challenged me that we can be more than what we are. And, uh, so then from there, you know, it's like, okay, so everyone that's in that movie, I'm buying their books. (laughs) So I did that. And then, you know, some of the people who were in the movie who I really admired or whatever end up, you know, in some major downfall kinds of things. Um, And that didn't affect me at all, you know, whenever they fell out of grace. Because, again, I realized that they were human. They got caught up in their stuff, you know, their own hype or whatever. But it doesn't negate the fact that some of the things that they said were so spot on and inspirational that it contributed to my personal shift. So, you know, um, while I may not follow them so much today, um, at the time, they contributed to who I am today. And I'm grateful for that. Um, And so it's been this ongoing thing of reading um, inspirational books, uh, reading success books, which ultimately all of those come down to belief and mindset, um, which you could argue very easily that, you know, that's spiritual, of course. Um, and it's it's been kind of interesting. And so you know, and I know like there's a few of you who are on here that a hundred percent relate because we've had conversations and I know that I know some of your stories and, uh, but like another thing that I would often pay attention to is whenever I would notice something that was going on in my own personal life that I couldn't explain, like, um, like I remember Back in the day, whenever I was uh, training prayer teams, we had this group of people come in that some folks had told me they were not on the up and up, that they were actually there to cause disruption, Um, you know, that they were kind of infiltrating, so to speak. And there were some, some things there that, you know, was used as proof of that fact. Like, I remember this one woman... um, she definitely had something off about her. And uh, I remember her coming to a couple of our church services um, and special events that we did with Healing the Land. And like she would come in and sit down and the lights directly above her would start flickering. And that was always seen as a negative, you know, like that was a sign of the dark side. And, uh, you know, of course, in those contexts, the word witch is 100% negative. You know, there is no positive anything about uh, Wiccan or anything like that in those contexts. And so that's how she was labeled. And (coughs) at the time, with some of the things she did, it was hard to 
honestly argue against their logic because they were not positive things by any um, stretch. She was definitely a dark person. Um, but then I had experiences where I would have lights go out. It still happens all the time. It just happened two days ago. Uh, you know, walk under a light pole and it goes out. <laughs> um, you know, sit at the table having conversation, all of a sudden the lights flicker. So I've had that happen. I've been able to point at light posts and knock the lights out at a distance, like on demand. Um, it was one of the early things that I did to impress Kristen. Because um, I figured if she thought it was cool, we would be good. If she freaked her out, then maybe it wasn't going to work out. And she's like, do it again, do it again. Um, but understanding the context of what I grew up in, if you have the ability to affect light like that, then that must make you a bad person, right? Because it's beyond the scope of what a quote-unquote Christian would do. Like, why would a Christian knock out lights? You know, that kind of thing. And so I found myself kind of like, I guess, over the years, uh, going through a lot of... Um, self-imposed bouncing back and forth there was some external pressure of course like whenever i passed the church they didn't really some of them didn't really appreciate me using the movie the matrix as a teaching point for one of my sermons um even though i thought it was very valid um <laughs> but but there was a lot of self-imposed for me, uh, not so much where I was condemning what I was experiencing or doing or whatever. I was trying to understand what was going on. You know, nobody wants to be quote unquote bad on purpose. Well, maybe some people do. I don't know. But um, I was trying to understand. And so I knew that if I saw something that was less than ideal, you know, like anger issues or unforgiveness or whatever, that there had to be a reason why it was there. And there had to be a reason why I was holding on to it. You know, if it truly didn't affect you, then, or doesn't affect you, and you can let it go at any time, why not let it go? Why hold on to it, you know? Um, because the one thing that I've learned through all of this reading and all of this transformation is that, just to be really blunt about it, you can't hold on to shit and expect to do certain things. It just doesn't work that way. You can't run a successful business and hold on to a bunch of beliefs that are counter to success. Like, I'm a failure. You know, you can't believe you're a failure and then expect to succeed in business. Or you can have success in spite of yourself, but at the end of the day, you're limiting what you can accomplish. And it just, you can't have it both ways. And that's true in just about anything. Um, and so I really adopted the belief over time that it all contributed. Um, I've been a big fan of just dumping a lot of stuff into my subconscious because our conscious minds can't process crap. You know, a couple thousand bits a second compared to a hundred million bits or whatever. <clears throat> There's no comparison. So 
I figure rather than me try to figure it all out on my own consciously, I just dump it all into my subconscious and let it sort things out. And then whenever it gets a couple gems that I could use, let me know, <laughs> you know, it's like, here's a bunch of stuff, process it, get back to me. I mean, that's kind of how I am these days. Um, so I, I don't read as much as I used to. Um, I kind of go through, um, spurts, you know, uh, I always buy books. And so I have a, a decent stock of them that are in the wings, uh, waiting, you know, waiting for me. But, um, another thing that I discovered in reading is that you can see a book and it might pique your curiosity but you start to read it and it falls flat. And then a six months later or two years later, you come across the book again and you flip it open um, just randomly on a page. And it's exactly what you need to hear in the moment. And you end up devouring the entire book and think, why didn't I finish reading this before? Because it wasn't time yet. You know, like maybe your subconscious picked up on the fact, oh, you need this message. But the timing wasn't there. You weren't quite ready or whatever the case may be. And I've seen that happen over and over and over again where, um, you know, I buy a book, I start to read it and I'm like, eh, whatever, you know, next. <laughs> and then, you know, months or years later, it's like the best thing I've ever read ever, <laughs> you know. Um, and I, I just personally attribute that to I wasn't ready yet thought I was but I wasn't um uh the other thing that comes into play is that um transformation is often like solving a puzzle where if you don't make certain moves in a certain order you're not going to get to the solution that you need without a lot of extra work or if 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 even you can um and so you have to go back and put things in place in a certain way, in a certain order. And then you're ready for the next piece of the puzzle. And I can safely say that um, I've seen that play out over and over again. Uh, you could say, well, I just wasn't quite ready or whatever. And there's certainly truth to that. But to me, more than that, there's certain lessons you have to get first to get to the next level, you know, like often like a video game, you know, you can't go to level two if you haven't solved level one, you know, I mean, we all want to go to level, whatever the, the top one is, you know, five or 10 or whatever the case may be. We want the mountaintop, you know, forgetting the fact that unless you, you know, have a awesome helicopter or something to get you that mountaintop, you got to climb the mountain and climb I don't know. That seems to imply work <laughs> for me and doesn't sound like that, you know, that good of a time. Um, so we want the mountaintop experience without paying the price of climbing the mountain. Not realizing the fact that it's in the climbing of the mountain that introduces us to why the mountaintop matters. So again, climbing the mountain as we read through different books that we feel inspired to read, give us the context that we really need to understand why the hell we're even on the mountain, you know, why we are who we are, what is our place in the world? Because I don't know about you, I meet a lot of people who have no idea why they're on the planet 
other than, you know, sharing the same air with her cat. And it's like, you're here for much more than what you're doing. And they kind of look at you like a dog in a new pan, you know, like, what am I supposed to do with that? Um, and I find that sad and unfortunate. And it's not to say that they can't get to where they're supposed to be with, uh, without reading. I mean, you don't have to read books to get to where you want to be. You can get there through relationships and interaction and mentors and all of those things. There's a lot of paths. The important thing is, is to identify your path because your path is different than everyone else's. And that's why I think for me, whenever I come down to cookie cutter solutions, you know, say these magic words and do this thing or that thing. And all of a sudden you're good. Um, sorry, life don't work that way. Um, to me, that just sets us up for escapism where uh, we can conveniently blame higher powers or anybody else for our own miscoming or shortcomings uh, and let us off the hook. When in reality, we need to be on the damn hook. You know, we need to face those things rather than blame God or the devil or whoever else we invent. You know, it's like, well, you know, I need to, I, I remember, and no disrespect to Christianity or anything else, please, because I grew up with it. I still have the utmost respect. It's the stupidity of people that I have an issue with. Okay. And I remember one time I was, whenever I was in leadership, we were having this prayer gathering with the worship team. And uh, one of the senior leaders made this statement in prayer, you know, give it, God, give, uh, give us a passion for the lost, you know, give us a heart for the lost so we can come out and win them to your kingdom. I stopped them in the middle of prayer and said, can I say something here real quick? They're like, yeah, of course. You know, I don't know if they thought I was going to come out with some great inspirational thing or what, but I said, I was listening to what you prayed. And essentially what you're saying is, if we go with what we're told in Scripture, that you want God to come down and force you to do what he's already told you to do anyway. Go out into the world and preach the good news, right? We're already told to do that. So why not just do it? Like, what's this God come down and kick me in the butt so that I go do what you've already told me to do kind of stuff. And I've always been very matter of fact like that. Like, rather than place blame elsewhere for your inaction, how about taking responsibility for your actions? And, you know, and just say, okay, got me. You're right. The reality is I've been busy. I've been, you know, distracted. I'm not sure who to talk to, you know, on and on and on, whatever uh, to me. Uh, and I'm just using that as an example. We can use that in every area of our lives to justify anything that we don't do. Um, but it's whatever you place blame. Well, I need I, one of the things that contributed ultimately to me stepping down from leadership. I've never really shared this before. Um and why I walked away from the church is because whenever I was part of the leadership team, 
And we had very real problems that we had to deal with and face, whether it was getting more income into the church or taking care of our parishioners who were having, you know, marital problems or whatever. Every time we would present solutions, we meaning me very often, um, the response was, well, well, we'll need to pray about that. That's a good idea. Let's pray about that. What's to pray about? Like, why don't we just do it? Well, we want to make sure that God, you know, really, if that's what God really wants us to do, blah, blah, blah. Well, I can hear God and he says, yes, <laughs> that's why I got the inspiration to begin with. So let's do it. They would never do it. It was inaction constantly. They would hide behind praying for God's will rather than just taking the damn action and getting it done. And I remember what I think I shared this before. One of our the women in our church was being abused by her husband. And they're like, well, you know, the Bible says that God hates divorce and blah, blah, blah. So stick it out. We'll go talk to him. I'm like, he's beating the stuffings out of her. What's the talk about? We need to get her out of that household. You want to come between a husband and a wife? Yes. Yes, I do. You know? And so they would go meet with a guy and he would be apologetic and all that kind of stuff. And a couple of days later, he'd beat the crap out of her again. And so um, my first wife and I decided uh, to go outside the realm of our quote unquote authority. And we went to women in need and we came up with a plan to help that woman escape her situation with her kids. And that's exactly what we did. And we got a lot of flack from it. But you know what? The husband ended up in prison. The wife is now remarried and incredibly happy. I think he would have killed her personally. Um, he had it within him to do that um, and threatened to do so multiple times after she left. Um, but it was that kind of silliness that, and I, granted, I understand not all churches are like that. And so I'm not making any kind of overarching insinuation. I'm talking about for me. I ultimately realized that I could accomplish more on my own without making all the excuses than within the, that particular context. And that I could lead an incredibly fulfilling spiritual life without having to be involved there. And that's what I did. And that's the path that I'm on now. And so I have no regrets. It's my journey. If your journey is to be involved in church at a high level or low level or whatever, it's not my place to judge you and your spiritual path because it's yours. Um, you might read the books that I talked about today and like, I don't get it. You know, like I read that same book and I felt like I needed to run away as quickly as possible. Well, then it wasn't for you. It wasn't part of your path. And that's the one thing that I've learned out of all the years. It's like we can contribute um, ideas based on our own experience. And that's a lot of what I've done today. You know, my own personal experience. And in some cases, it may unlock something inside you that just clicks, maybe that you never thought of before. Um, in other cases, it's it might be, well, that just don't connect with me at all or that, you know, that don't work with me. And I'm 100% okay with that. And the reason why is this. First of all, I believe our number one rule, um, period, 
I don't care whether you're talking about personal business, spiritual, whatever. Our number one rule has to be that we love one another. Like, that's not just because the Bible says it. That's just because it's who we're created to be as beings. We're beings of love, born from love. We need to love. It's just that simple. Uh, we need to embrace light. And in that context of loving one another, acknowledging that each one of us are unique, with unique gifts, um, on a unique journey to create a unique experience in the world that only you and I can do. Uh, and then for us to support that however we can, as long as it aligns with our personal commitments. Like somebody could believe that their whole, you know, reason for being on the planet is to be a pedophile. You're not going to get my support. Sorry. Um, but if, you know, um, your journey is going to be different than mine. Everyone who's here today or listens to the replay, your journey is different from mine. For me to come out and say, well, you're wrong because, you know, you read this book or you believe in reincarnation or you believe this or that or the other. Who am I to say that? Like, what gives me the higher authority over you to make a statement like that? Any more than, you know, your point A to point B, if it's radically different from mine, which chances are that it is, who in the hell am I to say that your journey is wrong? You know, I have no right to say that, you know, because I'm not any more than any other person, whether you're young or old, male or female, regardless of the color of your skin or your culture or whatever. Like, how exactly does that give me any right to say you're wrong? You know, especially if you're walking in a position of love. I mean, really. Um, and so... As a result, I've really toned things down in my own life because I needed to. Like, that was part of my journey. What I mean, whenever I was, uh, you know, in my early 20s, like, apologetics was, like, the thing for me. I loved to argue religion, you know. Like, I would hunt people down. Hey, you know, I get a phone call from a friend of mine. Hey, Tony, you know, there's uh, a bunch of the... Uh, you know, people up on the boardwalk holding the big sign saying the end of the world's coming. Want to go down and talk to them? Yes. <laughs> and I would go down and spend hours arguing with them. Knowing that I would never convince them and they would never convince me, I liked it for sport. You know, whenever Jehovah Witness would make their way down the street, I'd love it. You know, or Mormons or whoever. I loved it. You know, my first wife would always say, why do you even talk to them? You know, you, you know that they're not going to change your mind and you aren't going to change their mind. I said, oh, I know. I'm not trying to. I just like, I like the sport of it all. Um, but now I'm more of the position of, you know, who am I to say they're wrong? If they choose to believe what they believe, then good for them. Uh, I'm not here to try to convince them right or wrong, one way or the other. And I even asked one of them, one of the last times I ever interacted with uh, Jehovah Witness, we have a church about a couple miles down the road. And I said, 
I'm, I'm very smart when it comes to circular um, logic. So I can make you think I'm agreeing with you when I'm not. <laughs> and uh, I guess it was a leftover gift from apologetics. I don't know. But I remember talking to one of the prophets one time. And uh, I, I said, let me ask you a couple of questions. Fine. You know, would you agree that um, our primary command is to love one another? Yes. So I asked, I asked a bunch of questions that I knew they would have to answer yes to. And that I could answer yes to as well. So it was a total setup. And I knew that. Um, and I said, so I want you to imagine that you and I agree on all these points, right? Yeah. So why are you trying to convince me of something when my neighbor across the street doesn't go to church, kids keep getting convicted for selling drugs, you know, so on and so forth. Why not go talk to them? It sounds to me like they need you more than I do. And they couldn't argue with it. And I haven't, haven't had anybody at the house ever since. And that's been years, um, many years ago. Uh, but to me, I, felt, I feel like I grew up a little bit um, through this reading journey and meeting people. That I learned respect. I learned what love even means because I thought I knew, but I didn't. Um, and I, I learned just how unique each of us really are. And it's not to excuse wrongdoing, even though a lot of that is contextual or, you know, I mean, I'm not certainly not advocating breaking the law. Um, but, there are people in this earth who are made wrong because of the color of their skin. They're made wrong because they're Democrat or Republican. They're made wrong because they're women versus men. You know, I'd love to see the day, and I don't know that I ever will, where women will be treated as equals. But as long as there are men, there will be the good old boys club. It will never go away unfortunately. And so, but I would love to see that. I mean, women can put up with a hell of a lot more than our, than we men can. I mean, children, enough said. <laughs> but beyond that, you know, for me to judge somebody based on their culture, based on their skin color, based on their belief system, based on the fact that they're Presbyterian and I'm Baptist or whatever, fill in the blank, um, who the hell am I to do that? Like, what gives me the right to do that? Nothing. I have no right. Because I'm not you. I haven't lived your life. I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know why you're here on this planet. The only thing that I can do is everything in my power to contribute to your success in doing your own personal thing on this planet. And if it lines up with something that I'm contributing, awesome. 
And if it doesn't, find somebody else who does, you know, because like maybe you want to publish books or maybe you're passionate about kids books or maybe you want to learn more about e-com design or whatever. And because that's a part of why you're here on the planet. I can help you out with that, you know. But if there's something else that you may be interested in or want to learn from or need to grow through or whatever, I may not have any context for that. So it isn't that I'm bad or you're bad or anything like that. It's just that in this tapestry that we're all weaving, I'm blue and you're red, you know. Um, and sometimes blue needs to be next to red. Awesome. You know, other times, not so much. You know, so, and that doesn't make it bad. It just, it's different. Um, and so when I believe, my personal belief, uh, is that when we can look at the diversity that exists in this world and celebrate it rather than judge it, then we've come, we've gotten somewhere. You know, we've really started becoming what it means to be a true human being, in my opinion. You know, rather than a hater or, you know, something else. We need to celebrate diversity rather than criticize it. So, anyway, I feel like I climbed up on a really high soapbox. Um, I just went with what was coming into my thoughts. But um, I would love to hear, uh, here in the last couple minutes, um, some of the books that have been a great influence to you whether they're some of the same ones that I shared or something completely different, because I'm always looking for new things to read. And honestly, um, I don't know if Kathleen's here today, but she's shared a lot of books with me in the past, either through the show or privately or whatever. And I've bought all of them <laughs> just because, you know, and I think William has shared a couple and I've bought those too. Uh, Cause that's just what I do. I just take the list to go to Amazon. It's like, get that one, get that one, get that one. And whether I read them right away or not, it doesn't matter. But now I have them because, you know, uh, so I'm always looking for recommendations. And I was thinking before I went live earlier um, that what I might do, I, I did this a while back for one of my coaching students. But uh, what I was thinking about doing is perhaps putting together like an enhanced bibliography of sorts of some of the different things that I've uh, read that have really impacted me personally. And just put them into the Nerd Unscripted Facebook group so that you can see them there. And then if you want to add to the list yourself, um, that would be awesome. That way everyone benefits, you know, because uh, we have like, I don't know, 400 and some people who are registered for this uh, weekly training. But we, we don't have anywhere near those number of folks that show up live. But they still want to connect. They still want to be connected. Um, many listen to the replays because of time or work or whatever, and that's fine. But if we could do that in the Facebook group, that would be awesome. Like to share some of your personal life changer kinds of books. Um, I would love to see what those are. Uh, or if it's just like a specific author and just like buy them all, <laughs> you know. Like how I've been with uh, a number of my personal favorite authors like Greg Braden and different ones like that. I just, oh, new book. Okay, done, bought. Um, but anyway, 
Let me go over here to comments and questions here real quick. Um, Anne says, this is a great topic, Tony, because they, can affect, they books can affect people in so many different ways. I agree. Oh, awesome. William says, happened to me just this morning. I've been searching around for a name for one of the areas I want to concentrate on and promote in 2019. I was reading a Kindle preview this morning and the name and tagline came as a result of what I was reading. That's awesome. I've had that same experience over and over. It's really crazy. Uh, William says, it's truly amazing how prolific the New Thought writers were. Over the weekend, I was looking at what Orson Sweat Martin wrote. Yeah, um, he has a number of really excellent books that had a pretty big impact on me, like um, the one that actually put on Amazon, uh, You Can But Will You, uh, was huge for me. Um, and there was a, a, several others of his. He's very, very prolific. I forget how many books total he wrote. Um, but yeah, I, whenever I started discovering some of those guys, I was just amazed at what they wrote. Um, and William also says, I don't think it is about remembering nuggets from a book as much as it is the impact the book's philosophy has on our subconscious mind. Yeah, I can definitely see that for sure. Because, I, I mean, I've read a lot of books over the years. But if I had to quote, uh, you know, specific phrases out of a book, I'd have to go back. But yet, I still knew that that book had a massive impact on me personally. I just couldn't necessarily nail down one reason why. So I can definitely agree with that. Mark says, uh, the question, what if everything you believe was wrong, is the question that defined what I developed into my current belief system and how I internally vet new concepts and add or discard them. I refer to myself as a ubiquitarian, blasphemous for someone who was raised in a Catholic experience, attended Catholic school through grade school, altar boy, church boy, scout troop, Catholic youth organization, mass several times a week throughout my childhood. The question is asked privately by many. That question is asked privately by many, and maybe everyone. What if everything you believe was wrong? And it is, honestly, I've had a conversation with a lot of different people about that question. And I think the reason why so many people struggle with it is that none of us want to feel like we were duped or that we were lied to or deceived or anything like that. Like, we don't want to believe that. I think it's one of the biggest reasons why the powers that be are so conscious about full disclosure regarding aliens and UFOs and all of that, because it will take a huge swipe at religion. You know, what if it wasn't God and Jesus? What if it really was like, you know, these Anshar beings from another galaxy, you know, who really put us on the course? And because we are who we are as humans, feeling the need to worship everything, you know, we saw their uh, unexplainable, quote unquote, magical power as divine. When in reality, 
They were just smarter than us, you know, or whatever. I mean, and I'm not saying that that's what I believe. I'm just saying uh, you're right. Uh, it's a challenge for people to, to question what they believe as being wrong. You know, it's scary. Although I will say I've noticed over the last couple of years that it's happening more and more. And I'm encouraged by that. Not to say that it is wrong, but it, to question if it's wrong. That's where I think we need to be. So then you move from a position of believing what you believe because that's what you were told. Uh, you move from that place to believing what you believe because that's what you've discovered. Tony says, I see religion is just a business based on fear of the unknown. Faith is far above any religious teachings. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm a huge fan of faith. I just, there's something about having faith in something that's empowering. Whereas fear, avoiding hell, <laughs> you know, exactly how is that empowering? It isn't. And I believe that we're here to live at a much higher level than where we've been. And that growth cannot come through negative factors like fear. It can only come through positives like love. Um, and Tony also says, people who always refer to God's will really wind me up. They are just uh, blame or credit shifters who are too weak to want to take responsibility for themselves. Um, exactly. Uh, George Ann says the four agree agreements changed my life. Oh yeah. I love the four agreements. Great book. Yep. And there's another one too. Um, not by the same author is a native author. Um, oh, I can't think of the name of it right now. I'll have to look it up cause I know I have it. But there was this one thing that he said in the book. It was when he was a kid. He, um, I think he was Hopi. Um, and he was talking about his grandmother. And uh, his grandmother trying to get him to eat his vegetables as a kid. And uh, I think she was trying to get him to eat peas or something. And he didn't want to do it. And... Uh, his grandmother said, well, you have to eat your peas because um, they are music for your body. And uh, I started thinking about that. You know, it's like how we crave certain things at certain times, certain kinds of foods or whatever. Um, they have a specific vibrational uh, quality to them that if we're lacking that in our own body, it's like... Um, deep calling to deep in a way, like if that vibration is missing in our body and this food has it, then all of a sudden we crave it so that it's replaced in our body. Like there's a lot of that kind of stuff that goes a lot deeper than we realize. Um, I think it was called um, Thought and Vibration by Joseph Rail. That's the book. Thought and Vibration. I think that's it. Thought and Vibration by Joseph Rail. I know the author name. It's R-A-E-L. It's an awesome, awesome book. Loved it.
Kathleen adds, um, annotation would be good, why you like the book and or who the author is. Yeah, um, I think that's a great idea. So um, in listing the books, uh, if you're um, so inspired to uh, share some of the books that had a positive effect on you, um, offer the name and the, or the title and the author of the book. Excuse me. But also, uh, if you would, share why. Like, what was it about that book that spoke to you? You know, I think that would be really helpful and beneficial. Uh, we do have a Facebook uh, group, uh, Gary. The link was in the uh, members area of where the uh, sign up for the show is. But if you go to um, Facebook and just do a search for Nerd Unscripted, you should find it. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Tony shares, uh, my mother once invited uh, Jehovah's in, the, in with the intention of just having some fun with them. Over an hour later, they nearly ended up becoming or being Methodists. Same as mom. Mom wasn't a regular chapel goer, but she did know her subject. <laughs> That's super cool. Um, Tim says, one book I've really enjoyed is Little Things by Andy Andrews. I just bought Truthful Living by Napoleon Hill. Yeah, Andy Andrews is another one of those authors that I really appreciate. Uh, for sure. And obviously Napoleon Hill, but yeah, very cool. Um, not quite sure the meaning behind this question, but I'll share it anyways. And there's not a name listed. Uh, do you consider all the offers for the event you sent out to be worthwhile? So I'm not sure what event you're talking about. Um, whether it's Nerd Unscripted. Every topic that I cover every week is uh, whatever I'm inspired to talk about that week. So if you're talking about Nerd Unscripted, yeah. I mean, I think they're worthwhile. It doesn't necessarily mean that it'll resonate with you, and that's fine. Um, to me, it's not about that. There's going to be some topics that will connect with you more than others. Just the same is true with me. <coughs> if you're talking about business and the offers that I mail on in business, whether it's my products or someone else's products, um, again, yeah, I don't just send stuff out for the sake of making money. I mean, there's people who do that, I guess. And I'm certainly in business to make money. But I also vet everything that I send. I mean, if I'm creating it, I'm creating it for a reason because I got positive feedback or I've discerned that that's a direction that I need to take my business. If I'm promoting someone else, um, I trust them in most cases or the offer is done well. And I've gotten it wrong a couple of times. I'll be honest with you, even this year, um, there were a couple of things that I promoted that after the fact, it was like, nope, shouldn't have done that. Um, but anyway, <coughs> excuse me. 
Uh, Ann says, I'll have to think about some other books that I've read that you haven't mentioned. The idea of the Facebook group exchange is a great idea. I usually get my books from the library now. I lost my original huge library of books due to a complete loss of my home in a fire. Um, so now I only buy uh, ones that I can't get through the library system and that, that covers half of Massachusetts. Yeah, there are a lot of great books that are available uh, through the library, like worldcat.org. Um, if you go there, that uh, connects to all of the libraries pretty much in the world. And so you can literally have nearly any book that's in their system transferred to where you are in a fairly short period of time, which is awesome. Interesting. Uh, Tony says, someone told me about how they saw um, Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged, and it was totally opposite of how I had read the meaning of the book. I don't think he's weird, so it must be me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here anyway. Well, we are a collection of weirdos, but then again, everyone on the planet is weird in their own way. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've seen that happen too, where um, somebody read something that I read, and their take on it was about as opposite of mine as you can get and that's okay you know um again i i see that you know whenever there are needs that we have you know and those needs are identified through our subconscious or through god or universe or whatever um how that need is met whether it's part of a belief system or an encouraging word or whatever will come to us in any number of ways. And so they're using books as the context, since that's what we're talking about today. There could be part of a book that speaks to you and it's exactly what you need. Uh, and for somebody else, it's a completely different part of the same book. And that part just didn't happen to resonate with you and your part didn't resonate with them, but yet the same book spoke to both of you. You know, which I think is awesome. Leslie says, I'm a Christian and I don't see that whether aliens exist or not will lessen my belief in God. <coughs> my position on that has been that it would, if anything, it would enhance it. Because for us to think that we are the only <laughs> creation in the entire universe is uh, incredibly self-serving and self-centered. Um, I'd like to think that if I'm going to serve an all-powerful God, uh, that that would mean that his ways are way beyond mine or my understanding or hers for that matter. I know we tend to define God as he, thanks to uh, church leaders, but um, I, you know, I have to believe, I, I would always say whenever I worked for the Christian publisher, um, you know, they would share the scripture that says that God can do exceeding abundantly uh, above all that we can ask or think. And I would always respond with, well, I can think a lot, <laughs> you know, uh, and my thinking a lot included aliens. So, um, and teleportation and a whole lot of other things. So, yeah, I think it, if anything, it'll enhance 
our beliefs ultimately because we discovered that the diversity uh, that we uh, celebrate is actually way more diverse than we ever could possibly imagine. Um, that looks like the, the right link, Gary. Let's come over here and take a peek. I've been having some issues with Facebook today, so I don't know if we'll get to pull it up or not. Yep, that's it. So if you just ask to join, I'll approve you and we'll be good to go. Um, Anne says, I think that being duped is more like brainwashing and mind control to contribute money or volunteering to these organizations, whether religious or not. Yeah, I mean, I will say this. Since you mentioned the word mind control and brainwashing, there's a lot more of that going on today than you might think. Um, you don't believe me, look at social media. Look at the crazy that's going on in, in news. A lot of that is just an onslaught for our minds, you know, and they do it by a lot of different means other than just fake news and stuff like that. I mean, fake news is just the latest iteration. You know, they'll say something knowing that it's wrong to sway public belief and then they'll retract it. But the damage is already done. And that is a very deliberate method that has been taught in. Um, in things like uh, crowd control and uh, public relations and stuff like that since the late 20s. You know, you don't believe me, read the books, uh, Propaganda and um, by Edward Bernays. Like, read any of his books, first of all, if you want to understand the power of mind control. Uh, <coughs> Crystallizing Public Opinion is another one of his. It's one that I'm almost done with right now. These are books from the uh, late 20s. But yet, uh, well, Crystallizing Public Opinion is from 1924. I think um, Propaganda is from 1928. But still, the concepts that he shares in his books then on how to get people to think and believe a certain way are absolutely being practiced today. You can see it very easily. <coughs> Why? Because it works. Um, Anne also says, uh, I like your idea to get Jehovah Witness to go to the other people's houses because I kind of do the same discussions with them lately. I was thinking about how to stop them because I'm starting to consider them wasting my valuable time that could be uh, put to better use. Thanks, Tony. Um, so in response to the earlier question, build the special tomorrow with several offers. Well, that's because that's what it is. I don't know if you've ever been to on any of the Bounty of Bargains uh, webinars that James Jones has done. He's done them for a few years now. Um, but basically the way they work is he gets a group of people that he trusts, like myself and Daniel Hall and Jay Boyer and a bunch of others, and they contribute an offer. 
um, at a special price. So it's not just from him or just from me or whatever. There are a bunch of offers. Some of them may not be any interest of you at all. Others may be. Um, and so it basically gives you an opportunity like Black Friday to get some really good stuff and save money. And you also have the opportunity to win cash because he gives Amazon uh, gift cards and, or PayPal, I guess, is what he's doing now. Um, he will PayPal like winners 100 bucks or whatever if your name is drawn. So from that perspective, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, I don't know what all the offers are or who all is participating. But from past experience, there's going to be some offers that are worth more than others or that um, I think are better than offers. Some of them are just older courses that people are discounting just because they can. Um, more and more people are using that opportunity to launch new products, which uh, what I've discovered personally is that's a smarter way of doing it. And so like my offer, for instance, is for a brand new product. I'm teaching it next week. And, uh, and I have a discounted lower than what I normally would sell it for. Um, because I have a set <clears throat> method that I use for pricing my products. Uh, and so the way I look at it, uh, kind of like what Kenneth Hagin said years ago in class, eat the hay and leave the sticks. If you want to go show up for a chance of winning the giveaways, go. If you see something there that you don't think would benefit you, don't buy it. <laughs> if, and if you see a, a, something that you think could benefit you, buy that. Okay, I mean, to me, it's really that simple. I like them, uh, these giveaways, because it, it gives all of us an opportunity to connect with new customers. Um, and... It's a big deal because just like Kristen and I have found in retail, if people don't know you exist, they can't buy from you when you may actually be a good fit for them. Um, and so, you know, I look at it as a form of discovery. It gives uh, new customers the opportunity to see my products and other people's products. And um, if I can serve them in a way that they benefit long term, that's awesome. And if not, then hopefully whoever else they connect with um, will be that for them. Uh, Mark says, I missed last week's nerd because we drove out to visit my awesome daughter and grandkids in Texas. That's always fun. While we were there, I visited 10 used bookstores. That's even more fun. <laughs> and I filled my dining room table with my purchases. That's a good time. That's a, like a win-win trip right there. First of all, I like Texas. Second of all, to visit grandkids is always a good thing. And used bookstores, win-win. Suzanne said, I thought it was just me on Facebook today. Uh, I could barely get logged in earlier. I thought something was wrong with my connection. Um, and it's it's better now, but it was pretty spotty, like around 8.30 or so, for me anyway. <laughs> hey, 
Yeah, Kathleen says, so many books, so little time. True story. Um, and Mark says, uh, it is the people wearing religious binders who would have the problem with the alien re revelation. You get the binders by sacrificing your questioning nature on any dogmatic altar. I agree 100%. And I'll tell you what, I would expect, honestly for me, I think that 2019, 2020 are going to be the years for disclosure. I think they'll probably pace it out a little bit. Um, but personally, I believe that some really huge changes are coming. Well, time will tell, of course. Uh, Kathleen asks, uh, what is your new product in case I missed it? Well, it'll be officially announced tomorrow, but I can tell you what it's going to be called. Um, the title of the product is Puzzle Book Design. It's basically building off of the original puzzle training courses that I did, Make Puzzle Books and Advanced Puzzle Design. Um, it's going to be a three-module course uh, teaching brand-new puzzle methods uh creation methods to publish in books and other things we're going to talk about different ways of using puzzles in product creation beyond books um but some of the new puzzle methods are awesome it took me a while to figure some of them out um especially the uh, image-based ones but um that's what it's going to be So if puzzles is your thing or you, low content books is your thing, you're going to love this course. It's going to be a lot of fun to teach. Uh, Tony says, the thing that got me to believe that uh, there is more than this time on the planet is when someone reported someone had passed, uh, someone had passed, passed on, came back in the spirit and said, I'd like, I'd like to tell you how it is in the next life, but I can't because you don't have any reference for it. Uh, to me, it was like trying to describe Disneyland before theme parks became so common. Um, I actually had that exact kind of thing happen uh, to me. Um, and I think I shared the story years ago, but we'll wrap things up with this story. Um, years ago, probably 10 years ago, we'll say. I think it was about that. About 10 years ago, I was driving home from somewhere wherever I was. And all of a sudden I had this keen sense that my grandmother was in the car who had crossed over years earlier and I couldn't see anything. I just knew beyond knowing, like, you know, if I extended my right arm over, I'd have whacked her in the head or the boobs or something, <laughs> you know? Um, and I just knew, and I could hear her voice in my head, uh, plainly. And I, I mean, I spoke to her out loud, but her responses were in my head. And I said, Grandma, is that you? And she's like, yes, I have a message for your mother. I said, okay, what is it? And she said, I want you to tell her that I visit with her every day and that everything will be fine with your dad. Because my dad was 
kind of on the downhill spiral from the cancer that he had by then. Um, and then he passed in February. It'll be 10 years this coming February. And uh, she said, will you tell her? And I said, yes. And I said, while you're here, can I ask you a question? And she said, well, I reckon, <laughs> which my grandmother was from Virginia, West Virginia. So, you know, her saying, I reckon, I mean, I was just like, yeah, your grandma for sure. No doubt there. Because um, I've heard her say it many times. And I said, what's it like where you are? Like, what do you see? What do you do? And she said, I can't tell you. And I said, oh, okay. Um, she's like, no, you don't understand. She said, I can't tell you not because I don't want to. She's like, I can't tell you because you have no context. Like, I could describe it to you, but you wouldn't have any idea what I'm saying because you have no frame of reference for my description. And I said, that makes sense. You know, and I was fine with that explanation. It made sense to me. So it's kind of funny that you mentioned it. <laughs> Kathleen makes a good point, so I'm going to read this and then we'll wrap. Uh, she says, and yet the people manipulation fear possibilities of getting people to believe in aliens, invading, infiltrating, whatever, offers such temptation for demagogues. Uh, yeah, <laughs> this is very true. That's why I think it has to happen from a position, uh, from a higher vibrational position, a position of love, not to say that it will. But anyway, we humans are very curious. Well, that's all I have for today, folks. Thank you very much for humoring me once again. Um, and uh, I'll work on uh, a list of books like I mentioned today. Um, and if one of you, before I post, want to start a thread in the Facebook group, listing out some of your favorite books and authors and why they're your favorites, uh, that would be awesome. And then we'll just contribute to that uh, running list. So I hope you all enjoy the rest of your week. Um, it's Thanksgiving week. So if you celebrate Thanksgiving, <coughs> excuse me, I um, hope you have a, a healthy uh, Thanksgiving where you get to eat lots of yummy food, um, watch football, do whatever it is you enjoy. Um, our Thanksgiving is still kind of up in the air. We're not quite sure what's going to happen yet, but um, but anyway, and then of course, Black Friday, Small Business Saturday, we're going to be really busy uh, in our retail stores, uh, but it's going to be a blast uh, if the weather holds out. So enjoy your week and we'll reconvene here next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern.